exactly. We, we've talked about this before, but oftentimes relationships have an issue because there is a, for lack of a better term, high level, there's a lack of love in the relationship. What's funny is the partners oftentimes project that on each other. You're not giving me enough XYZ love. When the reality is you can't expect your partner to fill up your entire love bucket. We all know you got to fill up some of your, uh, your own love through self-love. But then there's also love from family. There's love from friends. There's love from community. That will fill up your bucket. When, when you get home, your partner is going to feel like they're spilling over the top of love because you're going to have all of these other ways to access that liquid love. You are listening to The Medicine Podcast. I am Mimi. What is up, everybody? This is Chase. So long story short, we were childhood sweethearts turned husband and wife in our early 20s. Despite following the mainstream script for happiness, we actually divorced for three years. Only to later reunite as soulmates with a brand new outlook on love, God, health, and the real medicines of the universe. If you find yourself wondering, is there more to this life, to health, to God, to love? Then you are in the exact right place. Consider this your bridge to expansion for body, mind, and relationships. We are uncovering and discovering with you. Let's go take the medicine. Welcome back to the Medicine Podcast. My name is Mimi, and I got my lover, my man, my king here with me. What is going on, everybody? It has been... A minute. Way too long. The kids say it's been a minute. The That's kids, a thing yeah. that the kids are saying. It's been a few minutes. And it's been a few minutes because we took about five weeks mm-hmm. and we traveled up to the beautiful Northwest mm-hmm. and spent all that time on a glacier lake, crystal clear, sitting on a bed of quartz crystals uh, called Priest Lake Idaho, a little special gem. And uh, we didn't record a podcast while we were up there. Yeah. So um, We had a lot a, of guest episodes. It's been Amazing. a long while since we've been under the red hat. So it's good to be back. Yes, it's it's um, good to be in the, I was going to say in the cockpit because we got our mics on. And yeah, that's what it feels we're in the like. cockpit. <laughs> you know, this is actually fun because we've talked about what we're going to be talking about today mm-hmm. um, indirectly a lot. We've referred to it a lot. We've referred to what we and many others call codependency in mm-hmm. relationship and relationships mm-hmm. and how we want to pivot from codependency into co-creation yep. into interdependence. And we haven't necessarily gone into the weeds on what all of that means. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a really great opportunity to take a minute. Yeah. Get it. <laughs> minute. Get it. <laughs> to slow down and like really unpack this. Yeah. Um, what is codependency? Where does it, turn into a slippery slope of kind mm-hmm. of toxic relationship behaviors. What's the root cause? Yeah. And then what does co-creation kind of the, the healthy cousin called interdependence mm-hmm. look like in a balanced relationship? Yeah. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be making some definitions up. We're going to be, <laughs> we're going to be looking at different characteristics of relationship yeah. and how co-creation models uh-huh. uh, those characteristics of relationship. And um, we'll see what shakes out, but yeah. looking forward to, uh, ripping the Band-Aid off of codependency and looking at the wound, if you will. Yeah, we're, we're, we've compiled a, a combination of, you know, taking, looking at like research and looking what, you know, different psychologists have to say on the matter combined with our own experience from part one, part two, 
what that looked like in our relationship and how that manifested and ultimately led to a divorce. And then in part two, how we approach it differently and what some of those um, co-creative characteristics, what that looks like. And really, we want to give you guys um, a lot of questions to ponder because there's no way that we can like this is a huge topic. (laughs) Right. And there's no way that we can like definitively say, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But we we offer questions for you to ponder about yourself and your relationship or your future relationship and how you want that to look and what you want to experience. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a culmination, combination of a bunch of different things today. Yeah. Love it. Before we get into all the goodies. Yes. I got to know, <clears throat> but I kind of know. Yeah. <laughs> what do you have going on in your cup? Oh, I got some goodness. I call this the cinnamon banana bread. Ooh. Yeah. So I uh, blended up in the blender some ice, some a little raw milk, a little water, and half a banana, and a little vanilla protein from our friends at Keon, and the star of the show, a scoop of our very own Mushy Love Mm, Latte. Come on. (laughs) And that's definitely what gives it the cinnamon swirl flavor. So if you guys haven't heard, we uh, have our new Mushy Love Latte out. It's been out for a few weeks now and just getting incredible feedback on it. I'm just blown away by everyone's experience with it and it's just like truly heartwarming because this was such a labor of love for us for like a year and a half and so for it to be out and being enjoyed by people is it's kind of surreal um but yeah so this combination is amazing it it it's got a, a host of mushrooms in it so you don't really taste the mushrooms but it's got a full gram of medicinal mushrooms in there so 500 milligrams of chaga and 500 milligrams of tremella mushroom, the beauty mushroom. And it's on like, I have it like th- three times a yeah. day. So this is my second serving today. Um, I had some in coffee earlier and it, it kind of acts as like a cinnamon swirl coffee creamer when I mix it with my King coffee. And then I usually have it as a nightcap, just mixing in with ice cold raw milk. And what I've noticed is that in the evening, usually like previously I get, kind of after dinner cravings of usually it's dark chocolate yeah (laughs) and i'm not demonizing chocolate like i love a good organic uh well-made dark chocolate i I think that it's a great little treat but half a bar is excessive (laughs) so um what i've noticed is by having this mushy love mixture at night um i crave i've been craving chocolate less and i think because it's it's just giving it's kind of like quenching that my my sweet tooth if you will and it's just so freaking delicious yeah we've gotten that feedback a lot actually and um, what's crazy is we don't have sweeteners Mm -hmm. in this product we put organic maple sugar Mm -hmm. which is significantly uh, less sugar as there would be with like table sugar Mm -hmm. but it's still really sweet and it tastes really really um, authentic That, that is maple sugar we didn't include stevia. We didn't include monk fruit. We didn't include natural flavors. We on purpose. Cr- on purpose. So this thing is, is slightly <clears throat> sweet, but it's got a ton of supportive taste mm-hmm. factors that really make it uh, that that graham crackery cinnamon roll, but like 
you put banana in it and it's got this almost like banana bread yeah. uh, taste to it. And, and that's kind of the resounding feedback that we're getting, which is, oh my God, thank you. This is not yeah. super sweet, but it still tastes like mm-hmm. a treat. Yeah. I just had uh, someone come over for an, uh, an interview today and I gave her, I made her a little mushy love elixir and she tried it and she was like, oh my God, I'm so grateful that this isn't super, super sweet because a lot of people don't do well with products that are very sweet, especially when it's like stevia or monk fruit slash erythritol. And she was like, thank you so much for, and I was like, yeah, it was totally intentional because you know, you, you can always add more in. Like if, if somebody tries this and they're like, "Mm, I, I like a little more fluff or sweetness in my, you know, coffee or in just my elixirs or whatever, we encourage people like add a little more maple or add a little drop of stevia or add whatever sweetener is your favorite. Um, but we really wanted it to uh, be adaptable to a lot in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And uh, you can't really do that when you make it overly sweet. Totally. It's, it's such an act of love. Like mushrooms <laughs> were, and, and you guys know our story. Uh, the whole reason after we got split up that we even decided to start talking to each other is because we realized we had such a passion for adaptogens and how profound mushrooms were in our own healing journeys. So we started this organic reconnection through the form of medicinal mushrooms Mm -hmm. and getting a mushroom product like this out into the world Mm -hmm. is an act of love. It's a representation of our story and there's just so much behind this. So um, we're really excited for everybody. We've been so grateful for all the feedback, everybody who's already gotten it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's still available. It's still selling. We, we've, uh, you can buy one bag. It's a month serving. You can buy it for 48 bucks. Um, or if you subscribe, it's actually $10 off that. So it's yeah. $38 a month, which, yeah. which if you break it down per serving, it's like less than a dollar and a half per serving significantly, uh, more healthy for you than getting like a Starbucks latte or something, um, but also like price friendly. Mm-hmm. And so we really wanted to make this thing affordable, good for you. Um, and it's yeah. so diverse in the way that you can use it. I'm just like, I'm having a ton of fun personally, yeah. just trying to figure out all the best ways yeah. to use it. And that's, and that's actually what's in my cup is a cup of mushy love. I like it with just hot water and a little splash of milk. Mm-hmm. And it's that it's simple. It's that good. To me, it really does taste almost like a cinnamon graham cracker. Uh, we've heard cinnamon toast crunch. We've heard yeah. <laughs> cinnamon roll. We've heard snickerdoodle. And so your options are limitless. It yeah. is uh, really a fantastic product with a gram yeah. of mushrooms. Yeah, I think that's worth mentioning is that if you're not familiar with the medicinal mushroom space, they're obviously become way more popular in the last, I would say, 10 years-ish. But most products out there, and this is one of the major reasons that we created a mushroom product was because we were really disappointed to see that most of the medicinal mushroom products out there, like these elixirs and mixes and lattes and coffees were really diluted. Like what they're giving you is a diluted end product instead of just getting pure mushrooms in there. And so it's a gram of pure mushrooms with no fillers or excipients or anything weird that's not mushrooms. And that's, it it takes a little bit of education on our part to um, teach people and to kind of be the bearer of bad news where it's like, you're probably paying for really expensive mostly oats yeah. in in your mushroom product. So that was a huge reason. And one of the main questions that we were asking from the beginning is how do we get the most possible yeah. mushrooms per scoop and make it taste good? Yep. Because oftentimes like 
mushrooms don't taste good. They kind of taste muddy, earthy, like some of them even taste like fish. So it's not the easiest ingredient to work with when you want it to taste good. Um, but we wanted it to taste good and still have that really high dose of mushrooms. Totally. Yep. This stuff is delicious. It's good for you. It's packed with great ingredients. Uh, Tremella mushroom is the beauty mushroom, mm -hmm. hydration, skin support, hair support, nail support. And then chaga, it's a, it's a, it's a winner. It's a classic mushroom winner for immunity, for gut health, for digestion. So, uh, the benefits of this product, uh, I'm excited for people to feel after, you know, m a month or so of consuming. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is really taken off. So I'm grateful for everybody who wants to be a part of the mushy love, <laughs> love train. And I got to shout out the people who have shared on Instagram. Like when you get your mushy love and you share it just like, you guys don't even know, like, I wish you guys could see us when you guys share, we like hug, we do a dance, we, <laughs> mm -hmm. we kiss. We do. <laughs> because it's it's exciting for us to to see that you guys are loving it so huge shout out to everyone who has shared um mushy love on your instagram your story it really truly makes our day and you have no idea how grateful we are check it out get mushylove.com let us know what you think and uh yeah guys if you are loving the medicine podcast it also means so much when you share yep. whether that's word of mouth whether that's on your instagram story whether that is sending a handwritten letter to your grandma saying, yeah, I freaking <laughs> love the medicine podcast. It means a ton. So if you could uh, continue to share, that is just nothing but fuel for our burning fire. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's getting more of what our world needs out into, in, into people's ears and not necessarily just our podcast, but just this style of long form intentional, conscious, loving dialogue. Mm -hmm. Like we, I think our world is not in any shortage. Like we do not have a deficiency of one liner clickbaity titles. Like that's the opposite of yeah. what we all need. We need more connection and dialogue and different points of views and just expanding our horizons. And, um, yeah, this is, this is such a gift and we're, we're so grateful to everyone that shares it. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> All right. Let's get in. Let's, let's jump in. Let's dive in. So first, like, I think getting familiar with codependency mm -hmm. and uh, defining, you know, like literally the definition of codependency, excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner. So codependency in a relationship is when each person involved is mentally, emotionally, physically, um, or even like spiritually reliant on the other. Mm -hmm. A codependent relationship can exist between romantic partners, which is what we're going to be talking about today, but it's also family members. It's also friends. It's also a relationship to an employer. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it can really trickle into a bunch of different lanes. Codependency incorporates aspects of attachment style patterns developed usually like early in childhood, influenced by the way you were parented, uh, the way that adult relationships were just modeled in your young life. And I, I want to interject here for just a second and say that we're not demonizing this. You know, we're not saying that it's bad or it's good or it's this or that. It just is like, this is just a reality that we all want to be aware of and conscious of. And that codependency can serve a purpose for a time. You know, you think about a child is completely dependent yeah. on an adult for care and for love and like that codependent relationship, it serves the child in the moment. But I think a lot of us are not stepping out of that 
child mindset or archetype once we get into a relationship and that just feels normal to us to be codependent like we would or like we were earlier in life with a parent, we kind of just transfer that responsibility or that dependency into our adult relationships, which obviously can end really poorly or it can create a type of relationship that you don't understand that it's it's coming back to a codependency or your attachment style and you just find yourself not experiencing the level of conscious relationship that you might see others yeah. or that you desire in your life. Um, and I think it's important to share our, you know, our experience with this and our real life example of if this is your first time listening, Chase and I were childhood sweethearts. We were married very young and definitely in a codependent relationship, but neither one of us even knew that that word really existed. Um, and it amongst other things, but it was definitely at the root of us and kind of the dysfunction that was going on and it led to our divorce and thankfully gratefully thank you Gaia and Sophia and (laughs) Jesus and God and (laughs) all of the gods that were back together and that we were able to do the individual work to get back to a point where we were balanced enough to realize like oh shit we are actually soulmates and this is this is really right we just didn't have the tools to identify what was crumbling in front of us um, at the time, but now we're, we have some wisdom and some experience in this and it's a completely different experience in part two. So I just thought we could maybe, uh, discuss like specifically maybe in a couple areas of how we experienced it just to let you guys know, like we're not speaking up on a pedestal. We've gone through this Mm -hmm. shit (laughs) in a deep, deep way. And so, and we're still learning, like we're always we're always growing. We're always learning about each other and we're always learning how we can show up to the relationship in a more co-creative way. Like we're never done with this work, but specifically in part one, um, and we're going to get into all of this in greater detail, but just from me looking back on our part one relationship, what I remember was that we weren't really comfortable enough in our own individuality and I think that seeing each other change as we all do in our 20s and hopefully throughout life, but seeing each other change felt quite threatening, you know? Yeah. And I think also we had no, what we call now, high dream of our relationship. We talked about this with uh, with Jason a couple episodes back, but like establishing what is the high dream of the relationship? What will it feel like when we're living in the high dream? What will it feel like when we're living in the low dream? That's something that we are aware of now, but we had no concept of. We were just kind of living and operating in this very reactive way, individually and with each other. And uh, that obviously led to a lot of problems. And I think also we, we just both felt fear around full transparency even though we were best friends and we were you know had been been together for 10 years at that time and we had been together since we were children it's like we were in these grooves and stepping outside of those grooves or exposing yourself completely to this person who's known you since you were a child. It just, we didn't have the confidence and the tools to really be fully transparent with each other. Yeah, totally. We're going to get into it, but inner and outer independence in the way that you 
you know, inwardly think and process and identify uh, yourself as well as how you act externally. Uh, having a practice of being an independent individual is critical. And that, and that just wasn't a thing. We were, we were two peas in a pot, childhood yeah. sweethearts. And it served us when we were doing long distance. Well, and it served us because it's functional and it's, it's technically functional when you are codependent and you puzzle piece fit mm -hmm. right away. Mm -hmm. And the things that were different in my life somehow kind of perfectly fit and complemented the things that were different in your life. And at that time in our young relationship, it worked. It actually sparked. Codependency can spark a relationship because your defic my deficiency is met by your strength. Your deficiency is met by my strength. But the reality is, is people change. Mm -hmm. And as they evolve, those deficiencies may not be met by the other's strengths, which is why independence in relationship is critically important. Be able to fill yourself up Mm -hmm. before engaging in relationship and then also encourage your partner to do, to do the same totally yeah and so <clears throat> yeah you know dating young very codependent but just a ton of fun not really serious life problems issues or whatever uh, we get married and i think we both had predefined expectations yeah. of what the other was going to do for mm -hmm. the relationship yeah absolutely. and uh, that's modeled in in christian upbringing just predefined gender roles mm -hmm. uh that's that's modeled in the world that we came from a husband typically looks like the following a wife typically looks like the following those expectations we brought into our marriage and it's it's not just what you do for the relationship physically like okay she does the cooking and cleaning i do the uh you know budgeting it's the emotional side of it too mm -hmm. and so i was dependent on you as a nurturer I was used to a mother who nurtured me, who, who took care of a lot of things for me. And I think this is very, very common in masculinity is mm -hmm. that their mother takes care of a bunch of things for men. And they walk into the real world hoping to find a wife that can take care of their things, not really knowing that they're mm -hmm. looking to marry their mom. Yeah. It's and not really ever conscious. No. And so that trickled into codependency where when my life began getting very stressful with a high intensity job and needing the emotional nurturing uh, that wasn't available to me as you were going through your own stresses and your own challenges, there was this disconnect and resistance in the relationship because you weren't doing something that I expected of mm -hmm. you for me. You're not making me happy right now. And I think similarly for you, you know, our young relationship, I brought uh, play, but I brought stability. I brought confidence. And that masculinity, even as a teenager, was really refreshing for you. Mm-hmm as I get into my life and my life gets very stressful and I'm the lowest man on the totem pole, pole as I start my, you know, big uh, corporate career, I'm, I'm less stable. I'm less confident. I'm going through my own growth. And because of that, that wasn't what you needed, what you mm -hmm. expected of me in the relationship. And so codependency reared its ugly head as we started to disconnect from each other and having this expectation of what the other would do for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it surfaced in a bunch of different ways. You know, the way that we argued, uh, the way that we acted individually, the way that we thought, uh, like you said, we couldn't be transparent. I would literally hide yeah. um, the things that <clears throat> were changing inside of me, which mm -hmm. was, I don't buy this Christianity thing. I am interested in psychedelics. I have, you know, questions about, uh, what my purpose is and and I didn't feel safe enough to bring that to the table mm -hmm. um, and all of these things come back to this idea of 
independence, codependence, co-creative, interdependence, and, and how it should and could look through an evolved, mature relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So coming back into codependency, you know, another thing I want to say, if you're listening and you're like, oh, I don't think I'm codependent. Even if you're not 100% codependent, you have codependency. Like, <laughs> let me let me tell you again. You have codependency. Yeah. You have codependency. Because I know, and we can say that because, again, to reiterate, we are still learning how to be co-creative and yes. not codependent. We still have codependent tendencies that we have to daily. like Comes up monitor daily. and be aware of like, huh, why is this coming up in me right now? What, is, what story is this attached to? What pattern is this attached to? Now, we're, we're not perfect at it, but at least we have the awareness and that's where it yeah. starts is yeah. awareness. So Dr. Mark Mayfield, he's a, he's a licensed professional counselor. He talks about the root cause of dependency being due to poor concept of self and poor boundary setting, mm -hmm. like including an inability to even have an opinion or say no. Yeah. And in the world that we live in, we are definitely groomed towards adopting others' ideas and others' opinions mm -hmm. and, and others' I, uh, definitions of who you are. So that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and I think um, if you know anything about the Enneagram, if you know your Enneagram type, being a type two, which I I am a, a type three wing two, um, so I'm speaking from experience here, the type two is like the giver, and it's great, it's a gift, it's, it's beautiful to be able to, to be selfless and to give gifts to others, but the shadow side of that is that you give too much, or you overextend yourself. You're bending. You're, you're you're bending backwards to accommodate other people, or you're not sharing your real opinions, or you are um, giving from an empty cup. Yeah. So it, I just want to like pin that there. If you know your Enneagram type and uh, you're a type two, some of this may uh, be stirring some things in you. Totally. So moving into like signs of codependency. I think an important piece and, and another uh, uh, psychologist, counselor, his, his name is Dr. Exelberg. He says codependency is a circular relationship in which one person needs the other person who in turn needs to be needed. The codependent person known as the giver feels worthless unless they are needed by and making sacrifices for the enabler, otherwise known as the taker. So I think really important here. There's a giver and then there's a taker in codependency. That doesn't necessarily mean you're always the giver and you're always yeah. the taker. I think what's more common is that in a codependence, uh, in codependency, based on the roles of the relationship, you may be a giver, you may be a taker. Mm -hmm. And so those kind of those kind of shift hats in the relationship. But I think it's an important note is that when you talk about codependency, there's kind of both sides of mm -hmm. the codependency coin. Yeah, it's more like modes. It's not like one person is always the giver. One person is always the taker. That would be exhausting. And I don't think people would stay in a relationship like that long. It's, you know, speaking to the roles, like if you have well-defined roles in the relationship, you might be the giver at one point you might be the taker at one point and it's it like that's how it showed up for us yeah and i th think that's how it shows up i think for that's most, most like modern relationships i think in cases of abuse in cases of narcissism sure. you have more dominant taker yeah. in this in the form of kind of the narcissist or the abuser yeah 
But. Yeah, but those are kind of outliers. Um, and then, so Dr. Mayfield and Exel, Exelbert, Exelberg, is it Berg or Bert? Bert, there's a C on the end. Well, above it says Exelberg. Oh, wow, okay. Doctors Mayfield and Exelberg share that there are several signs of codependency. Um, so I'm going to run through this list just to kind of get you, get us all on the same page of what, how this could manifest in a relationship. So if you experience any of the following, you might be the giver in a codependent relationship. Having a sense of walking on eggshells to avoid conflict with the other person. We've all experienced that, I think. Feeling the need to check in with the other person and or ask permission to do daily tasks. Often being the one who apologizes even if you have done nothing wrong. Feeling sorry for the other person even when they are the ones that hurt you. Doing anything for the other person even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. Putting the other person on a pedestal despite the fact that they don't merit this position. A need for other people to like you in order for you to feel good about yourself. Struggling to find any time for yourself, especially if your free time consistently goes to the other person. And I would add to that, if you do find time for yourself, you usually feel guilty, you know? Yeah. And then lastly, feeling as if you've lost a sense of self within the relationship. And what's coming to my mind is right now with the, especially those last two is the overworked underappreciated house mom or housewife yeah. yep. where maybe she's a stay at home mom or maybe she works either, either way or maybe stay at home dad or whatever the situation is. But I, I just see like in my mind a frazzled overextending herself housewife that just gives and gives and gives to her, her husband and her kids and, you know, we, I've heard this, I've talked to women where they're like, are in their everyday life. And they're like, I don't even really know what I like. I just yeah. know how to show up for my family. And I, I, even if I get time to myself, I feel guilty about it. Yeah. And, and like, clearly these are, <clears throat> these are evidence of, of how codependency is, is unhealthy in relationships. You can kind of just mm -hmm. pick up on the, the piece of it, but, but there's more too. Yeah. And it's tricky because when we fall into love with someone, we, sort of feel a little responsible for the relationship and we can feel like we're responsible for their well-being um and I, I think that that's a dose of that is okay it's when it gets to be in balance yeah. because like I, i'm not gonna lie and say when you're upset or when you're you're frustrated or stressed or whatever i'm not gonna lie and say that it doesn't affect me one percent at it's all empathy right yeah it's empathy you're feeling like man my partner's hurting I don't feel good either. I don't think that empathy is not what we're focusing on here. It's when you feel 100% responsible for how your partner feels uh, just, you know, in daily living. And so that's when it becomes unhealthy. And so um, Dr. Exelbert says, codependency does not refer to all caring behavior or feelings, but only those that are excessive to an unhealthy degree. Responsibility for relationships with others needs to coexist with responsibility to self. Totally. And that's huge. This episode of The Medicine is brought to you by Optimal Carnivore. Question. Do you know what the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet are? Answer. Organ meats. Providing a hearty dose of vitamin A, zinc, copper, folate, B12, and more but they're not always appetizing to take down. I've tried. 
That's why we absolutely love Optimal Carnivore. Organ meats support and nourish our bodies in ways that synthetic or plant-derived nutrients are simply not capable of providing. Those who incorporate organ meats report feeling more energy, less brain fog, and like they're truly thriving. These are 100% grass-fed organ meats from New Zealand, freeze-dried and encapsulated into convenient bovine gelatin capsules. They choose New Zealand because it's a pure source, a pristine land with rich soil, lush greenery, and one of the cleanest environments on earth. Their products are 100% grass-finished and free of all hormones, pesticides, antibiotics, and GMOs. Our ancestors would have eaten the whole animal, so Optimal Carnivore created this unique blend of nine different organs, a powerful combination including beef, liver, brain, thymus, heart, kidney, spleen, pancreas, lung, and gallbladder. Each organ contains its own unique benefits and nutritional profile and provides a large range of nutrients that support all the major organ systems. The guys at Optimal Carnivore believe everyone deserves easy access to the most nutrient-dense foods and wanted to take the guesswork and mess out of eating organ meat. They are also giving back to the planet by planting one tree for every product sold. Our favorites are the grass-fed organ complex that I mentioned and the grass-fed liver capsules. To get some more of these essential nutrients in your life, go to amazon.com forward slash optimal carnivore and use the code THEMEDICINE to save 10% on all of their products. As always, bringing you only the best, my loves. Cheers. Yeah, I know going back to your point of like being able to empathize, I think where it trickles into codependency is when you're say your partner's upset about something and thus you become upset. Are you upset because you're feeling the feelings of them upset that, you know, their day was stressful and somebody was, uh, you know, causing them grief and you can sit in that position and understand what's going on in their environment and being like, wow, I am upset similar to the way that you're upset based on what circumstances yeah. are, are going on. That is empathy. Mm -hmm. Different from I'm uncomfortable by the fact fact that you're upset regardless of what you're upset about I can't handle you being upset so now I will be upset or go above and beyond excessively until you're okay mm -hmm. because I am dependent on you feeling a particular way yeah and I think for us it showed up in part one um, you know you had a very stressful job you were traveling every week and I could tell that <clears throat> I could tell that you were stressed and I, I didn't know how to support you in the best way. And I just didn't have any tools for like healthy dialogue or communication. And I felt like it was it then affecting how you saw me and how I interpreted your love. So like you being stressed, you being uh, maybe upset or frustrated with your job situation. I then took that frustration like it was a, a reflection of me, which was obviously not fair to you, but that's just where my mind was at was like, well, he's, does he still love me? Like, does he even want to like touch me or this or that? When Your definition of worth <clears throat> as a wife was dependent, was yeah. codependent on my emotional state, mm -hmm. regardless of whether it had anything to do with you. Yeah. Perfect example. So the inherent issue with codependency is that the giver loses their true sense of self since they're pouring so much into the taker. 
So even if the giver doesn't feel this way immediately, like, you know, they're probably enjoying giving their yeah. loved one uh, things that they need or, or being relied upon. Like these can feel good, but over time, this is what develops into unhealthy degrees mm -hmm. as the relationship progresses, as this becomes more of a repetitive pattern. Yeah, and I think another issue with codependency is that it becomes really difficult for the giver to remove themselves from the relationship since they might feel that the other person relies on them so much, even if they know in their gut it's the right thing to do. And I mean, you see this all over the place where people know that it's not their end-all be-all relationship, but they feel guilty for what it's going to do to the other person or how it's going to affect them negatively or what they're going to, how it's going to affect their mental or emotional health. So they stay in the relationship, even though they know it's not healthy or for them. And conversely, the, the taker can feel so reliant on the giver that they also have difficulty leaving, even if they know it's a toxic relationship as well. Yeah. It's kind of like the broken leg was going to be very challenging to set and heal correctly. So you just kind of favor it yeah. and then it starts to heal, but then it's kind of deformed as it heals and then it starts to swell and then it starts to pus and, and <laughs> blister. And yeah. like now you have freaking elephant sized leg because you never went back and properly established. Yeah. Like that is the relationship of codependency. At first, it's okay, and it's comfortable enough. So even though it might be an unhealthy pattern, it's still kind of comfortable. But then it progressively gets a little bit worse to the degree that, like you're saying, it turns into a toxic relationship, and you have to break the leg. You have to reset it and start over, mm -hmm. which can be very hard in relationships, yeah. which is very hard <laughs> after you put up patterns and walls, and it requires radical humility. Or you have kids. Right. So... <laughs> Talking codependency, what does it actually mean to shift into co-creation, to shift into healthy interdependence? So simply being reliant on someone else, like we've been talking about, does not mean that you're codependent. In healthy relationships, each person can rely on the other person for a variety of needs. That's what makes it so productive. Mm -hmm. Codependency exists, like we've been saying, when one person gives way more than the other and the imbalance of these uh needs starts to manifest yeah and i think in addition if you're giving from a place of guilt so anything other than uh a loving gift so if you're giving to the person out of a place of guilt or fear that also i think manifests as codependency so like <clears throat> now in part two if i choose to do your laundry for you. It's a gift. I'm not cursing you the entire time saying, he saw this, he saw that, I always have to do this or I always have to do that. I'm choosing, I know you can do your own, but I'm choosing to give you this gift because I know it will free up time in your schedule, which will help our relationship flow better. And I happen to have time to do it. So I now take the stance of if I'm giving anything and you do this, I know as well, if I'm giving anything to you, it's always from a place of this is a loving gift to my partner. Yeah. And I check in on myself if I'm doing it with any sort of bitterness, which I don't even know if that's shown up in part two. But if it were to, I wouldn't do it because I know that that, that bitterness or resentment only has room to grow if I let it continue. Yeah. 
So we've been calling interdependency kind of the healthy cousin of codependency. Yeah. And let's define this a little bit here. So interdependency, we're, we're going to be using them interchangeably, co-creation and interdependency. It, it yes, can be considered the healthy cousin of codependency. And while codependency is an unequal partnership that puts one person above the other, interdependency requires both people to be able to operate autonomously. So in healthy relationships, couples will feel closely attached and intertwined, but still capable of making their own decisions and encouraging their partner to do the same. They share power and responsibility equally within their relationship and have healthy self-esteem. Within interdependent couples, both people feel able to express their own feelings and desires and to listen to their partner with respect. They support each other in their own interdependent goals. Yeah, so in co-creation, opposite of codependency, relationships will retain a good strong sense of self a strong sense of your purpose while still desiring the closeness of the other person Mm -hmm. and enjoying the benefits of doing things and having things done for you so although they'll still do things for each other and enjoy the like we enjoy that we enjoy the praise is love languages these things are are legitimate and they're real and they're powerful However, it is not a reliance on those yeah. things. It is not an expectation. It is not a preset, fixed definition for your partner. Yeah, and I think if anyone is uh, familiar with the love languages and knowing your love languages and your partners is really important. So this could also pop up if your primary love language is acts of service. Yeah. So if you show your love by doing things, and this also is attached to Enneagram type 2, um, If your love language, if you give and receive love by acts of service, then this could be a slippery slope. Again, it doesn't mean that you're codependent. It just means it's something to be aware of. Someone who their primary love language is physical touch or uh, giving gifts may may not have this same kind of slippery slope into codependency. Yeah. Yeah. It's not relying on the things that you do for either your self-worth, like, okay, if I do enough things for them, Mm -hmm. then I will feel okay about my position in the relationship. Or, well, they better do the following things for me in order for this relationship to be considered legit. Yeah. It's like that positioning. (laughs) And we've said it before on many different podcasts, but the attitude that we want to have, I think the most, the healthiest is it's not, I can't live without you. It's like, no, I'm good. I have this life that I love. I can live without you. I just really don't want to. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And the first step in all of this, all of these codependent tendencies and how to overcome them is focusing on self-awareness, is Mm -hmm. posing the questions. And that's what we're going to go through for the the rest of the episode. We're going to be going through uh, what we're calling like six basic characteristics of a relationship. And what co-creation or healthy interdependence actually looks like uh, when they're in balance. So what we're going to be going through is inner independence, outer external independence, other relationships, activities, transparency, how you argue, critical, (laughs) 
stability and safety, and lastly, just equality. So these general characteristics of relationship, we're going to be talking through what healthy interdependence looks like. Yeah, and then giving examples and then uh, some questions to ponder in each of under each of these characteristics that maybe you hear a question that, that sparks your interest or a few questions and you, you know, use them in your personal journaling practice to yeah. really reflect on where you're currently at. Like you said, if we want to transform anything in our life, whether it's our physical health, our emotional, you know, healing trauma or spiritual health or relationship work, it always, always, always has to, must, star, 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 start with awareness and consciousness. Like yep. you can't make any changes unless you know where you're currently at. Totally. So we're going to be talking about inner independence. What does co-creation look like? through your independence internally. This is what this is about your inner world, you know, your personal development, your thoughts, your opinions, your connection to your own purpose, to your being. So what co-creation looks like is as the relationship progresses, you become more independent in the way that you view yourself, the way that you view your life, all while still feeling within the container of the relationship, feeling free to develop your own thoughts, to have your own preferences, make your own choices in life and lifestyle, but also the choices that you make are done with a muscle of consideration for your partner's feelings, for your partner's preferences, and the core values, what we call the high dream mm -hmm. of the relationship. So, like I said, this is how you are defining your worth independent of what you do for the other person. I think consideration of whether this lifestyle will negatively impact the freedom of choice on your partner is actually like a really critical criteria here. Mm -hmm. The dream is to be able to effortless, effortlessly make choices about your independent life that has this muscle of pure consideration for your partner and how it might impact their freedom. Because <clears throat> that's the critical piece is your partner similarly needs to feel freedom to express themselves independently of you. If your choices for independence trickle into their ability to express themselves or think about themselves or define their purpose, then it's technically kind of trickling into impeding on their independence and their freedom. So like that's one point that I definitely wanted to, to call out is like it's not mm -hmm. just recklessly doing whatever the hell you want yeah. because the perfect world of co-creation has this independent decision making mm -hmm. while also having a layer of consideration for your partner's right and freedom to independent decision making. Yeah, it's not like we're foregoing all consideration for our partner and what they also want to experience in life and just like deal with it. This is me being I'm an independent woman or I'm an independent man. I can do what I want. You're also if you're in a relationship, depending on what the scope or the parameters of your relationship are, like if it's monogamous or if it's this or if that, uh, your your actions, you know, obviously will have an effect on your partner. So it, there should be this like deep layer of respect yeah. for your partner, knowing how your decisions affect them. But I think not being completely attached to the the outcome or it being attached to whether or not they approve is also important. So this is where it's not black or white. There is a lot of gray area here and there's a lot of 
discretion that yeah. has to be like using good judgment and wisdom and uh, just human decency, really. Totally. And so as this progresses, as you build this muscle of inner independence, it's things like being able to define the way that you think independent of your partner, being able to say, these are my preferences. This is what I enjoy. Oh yeah, this is what they enjoy too, but it's not dependent on what they think or whether they approve. Um, this is what I like to read. This is what I like to eat. This is what I'm into right now. It's that kind of freedom and that kind of individualization that if you were at a dinner party with friends, you'd be speaking on behalf of you and not mm -hmm. necessarily the couple at large. Yeah. I think a pitfall on this one is oftentimes guilt accompanies the pursuit of this kind of independence. And so uh, Dana R. Curie, she's a trauma recovery coach, says that false guilt is feeling guilty when one is not actually guilty. Genuine guilt is a, to, is a result of wrongdoing. It's appropriate to feel guilty if we have done something wrong. However, false guilt is rooted in deception, denial, and dysfunction. It is directly connected to our destructive and codependent relationship with a narcissist. And so I wanted to call that out because it's as you take on these ideas of independence, there might be that little sliver of like guilt. Like I'm not doing this with them. I'm mm -hmm. not bringing them along with me and know that is false, false guilt. Mm -hmm. And so if that is coming up for you, it is an opportunity <laughs> to catalyze. Yeah. Because ideally your partner is doing the same where they're establishing their own thoughts and opinions and outside friendships, which I know we're going to get into on the next point. But if they're doing the same, they won't be so overly, extremely right. focused on the fact that maybe you went to brunch with girlfriends instead of, you know, watching the football game with him or something like that. Yep. So um, there's some questions to ponder here under this inner interdependence. So just think to yourself, do you feel free to study what you like openly? Do you feel like you can bring up any topic for conversation with safety? Do you have to over explain and justify decisions you're making for yourself, your health, or your development? Do you feel a tremendous amount of guilt for even thinking about things without your partner? Do you find yourself hiding from them when you read a certain book or watch a certain show or documentary? Do you feel free to spend money that you earn? Yeah. And that, that's loaded and, and we could probably do an entire episode on yeah, money. So I don't totally. want to get into that too much. Uh, but just an example from, from our life in part one, I did not feel safe to pursue an inner world of independence. And so that for me looked like in my mid twenties, breaking away from our upbringing, breaking away from religion, especially uh, from certain definitions of health. And, and so I would listen to these very edgy podcasts and read these really edgy books and I didn't feel safe. So I would actually like sneak off and go on long walks, uh, listening to books and podcasts about plant medicine and non-Christian topics. And uh, that's the <laughs> that's the example and, and, and I feel guilty about it truly I, I would I would have a l level of guilt mm -hmm. and like that is the example of what not to do yeah and I think on on the flip side um, I was experiencing guilt and secrecy and hiding around spending the money that I earned so I wasn't like a crazy like shopaholic or anything but I felt fear definitely around if I went to Target and bought a shirt or something like that I would have to explain like, no, I had a gift card for it or whatever. Like I didn't feel free enough because we were, 
working on paying off, you know, we were paying off student loans and we were both very new in our careers. So we weren't making like buckets of money or anything. Right. And you were very conscious of that. And so, and I think it's safe to say that it wasn't necessarily expressed in the most conscious way of, hey, what are we building together? What do we want to put our priorities towards? And what's a a reasonable allotment of kind of free floating spending money that we can have, you know, every month? Because every person needs that. They need a little wiggle room to just express themselves if they want to. So that's where, where it showed up for me in part one. I mean, one of the places, but yeah, that was definitely big for us. Totally. So that was our inner independence. And so I want to move into talking about our external, our outer independence. And this looks like other relationships, friendships, family relationships. Uh, This looks like activities, groups that you're a part of, the work that you pursue. And so in healthy co-creation, in healthy interdependence, you have a life outside of the relationship. And you don't always have to include your significant other. You seek other outlets for expression and you nurture other friendships and even family relationships. You enjoy your time together totally, but you also legitimately enjoy your time apart. Mm -hmm. And encourage your partner to also have, you know, the same types of uh, pursuing these outside friendships. Yeah. So I see this, you know, shaping out really in a healthy way. Uh, as I look at people who've got like workout groups, uh, book clubs, um, people who focus on community activities that their partner may not be a part mm-hmm. of, but that totally lights them up. So what you're doing is you're focusing on figuring out the things that make you who you are, regardless of whether your partner is included in them, whether they quote unquote approve of them. And then you just expand upon them when you feel like something's aligned. It really helps you feel individual. Mm-hmm. If your partner wants to join, that's icing on the cake, but not the determining criteria for whether or not you're going to seek outside friendships, whether you're going to seek outside activity or getting involved in other point. Hey friend, I wanted to change the subject for just a minute to read something really important to you. This is feedback we received from a woman named Kelly, one of our amazing users of Immune Intel AHCC. She says, So I've been taking AHCC for a little bit over a month and my skin has never looked so good. I am 35 and have suffered from hormonal acne since I was a teenager. I thought I would never get rid of my acne. I just had my period and I have absolutely no pimples around my chin or jawline. And my melasma is finally clearing up too. I have tried countless prescription and over-the-counter medications and have seen so many dermatologists with little improvement. Also, I feel like my hormones have balanced out. I am less irritable, as well as less inflammation going on in my body, decreased back pain, and bloating. I'm so glad I came across you on Instagram. Thanks for sharing the knowledge. Okay, here's one more, just because they light me up so much to share with you. This beauty is staying anonymous. She says, I learned about Immune Intel AHCC from you on a podcast, and in four months, it helped clear my persistent high-risk HPV that I've had for seven years. I love these two testimonials next to each other because it's a testament to the balancing and normalizing effect that AHCC has in each individual body. 
One woman was supported with her acne flares, and the other had support in clearing her high-risk HPV. I am consistently amazed by the power and intelligence of AHCC. To try Immune Intel for yourself, go to themedicine.com forward slash products, or just check the show notes below. Cheers, my love. Yeah, like I, I think of your mom who joined a hiking group, like a yeah. women's hiking group, and she's having a blast and right. she gets to explore all these areas and it's not really your dad's thing. So he stays at home and she goes and does her thing and it totally lights her up and fills her up and she's loving it. Totally. We, we've <clears> talked <throat> about this before, but oftentimes relationships have an issue because there is a, for lack of a better term, high level, there's a lack of love in the relationship. What's funny is the partners oftentimes project that on each other. You're not giving me enough XYZ love. When the reality is you can't expect your partner to fill up your entire love bucket. Mm -hmm. We all know you got to fill up some of your, uh, your own love through self love, but then there's also love from family. There's love from friends. There's love from community that will fill up your bucket. When, when you get home, your partner is going to feel like they're spilling over the top of love because you're going to have all of these other ways to access that liquid love, you know? And then it's also like, like when I get home from doing something, you know, going out with girlfriends or, or whatever, hanging out with whoever. And I, you know, we've been apart for a whole day and come back and I'm like so happy to see you and share my experiences with you. And it's like a re it's like a mini reuniting. It is. That's like, also sparky in its own way. Yeah. Um, you know, communication is critical uh, in, in the pursuit of external independence. Yeah. So communicating to your partner what you're doing and who you're with, again, building that consideration muscle about what their thoughts uh, and what their preferences are before making a decision, I think is important. Yeah. Um, but you're not attached to whether or not they want to participate. So like, you're comfortable saying yes or no to the opportunities that are presented to you without having to check with them every single time. Now, again, key point of consideration, does this impact their ability to feel free within the relationship? Right. If you're saying yes to a July weekend for your hiking group, but you sort of know in the back of your mind that your significant other is taking a couple weeks off so that you guys can go on vacation together, like that's a case where it would be like, I'm not checking with them for approval. I'm just considering their freedom of wanting to express their vacation and their travel within the container of the relationship. I'm keeping that in mind before I sign on for all of these different things. Yeah, and I think a more extreme example is like just because we're not giving you like free reign to like, well, this is part of my external relationships. And Mimi and Chase said it was okay for me to go to the swingers party. What are you yeah, mad about? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's right. not free reign to do that. Like you still need to use your judgment and work inside what you've established as your relationship. Or like, oh, I just bought a brand new uh, Tesla. Yeah. And it's like Without. that actually impacts my ability yeah. to spend the money that we earn on yeah. whatever else. So, yeah, great point. Okay. So here's some questions to ponder under this external independence do other relationships friendships or even family relationships feel like a threat to you or your partner or your relationship yeah i think people in very codependent relationships witness their significant other having intimate relationships and it's call it jealousy call it uh 
you know, narcissism. There's a level of like frustration with the amount of energy that's being outwardly yeah. given to outside relationships. Yeah. That is a sign of codependency. I, yeah. I need you to feel okay. So by you giving what you owe to me to somebody else, even if it's freaking family, mm-hmm. that's not okay. Yeah. Next question to ponder is, do you feel a tremendous amount of guilt for doing fun things without your partner? Do I support and encourage my partner in having friendships outside of our relationship? Am I able to appropriately gauge when checking in with my partner is considerate before saying yes or no to an opportunity, like whether it impacts their ability for freedom of choice and independence? Great. So moving on to the next point here is transparency. Yeah, transparency, obviously critical piece of relationships. And how does that look in a co-creative relationship? Frankly, you can be transparent with each other. Mm -hmm. You don't feel like you need to hide parts of yourself, parts of your life, your choices to feel loved or accepted by them. You are not afraid of them. So perfect transition. We talked about some of the inner independence your own self-identity, your own worth, your own interests, and then it's externally. It's your friendships, it's your community, it's the things that you're a part of, it's your activities. All of those things are defining you. And in your relationship, you're able to step in and say, baby, this is me. (laughs) This is what's going on. All my shit. I got all this childhood programming and all this stuff I'm working on. This is it. This is me. I know that you love me. Here it is. Yeah. And so there's kind of like two branches of transparency. Transparency could be taken in a couple of different ways here. And we're going to talk about both. So kind of just piggybacking on what you said, do you, you know, it's, it's the, the one branch of transparency is being able to (laughs) kind of air your dirty laundry. You know, you're past the stage of always putting your best foot forward as you do on dates one, two, three. If you've been in a, a relationship, a monogamous healthy relationship for a year you should be able to expose more of these real parts of you without being afraid that your partner is just going to run off or they're not you know they're going to be turned off or whatever so being able to feel free and safe to discuss the not so pretty parts of yourself things like negative programming or childhood trauma or maybe you've got a chronic illness that you're trying to heal or emotional baggage all of this we all have this we're all human and we should be able to be transparent with our partner about all of it. And then um, the second little branch of transparency is about your positive interests. So getting really clear with yourself first on how and why XYZ, whatever, fill in the blank, why this thing is important to you and what it's adding to your life then clearly and respectfully communicating that to your partner, showing gratitude for their support. So transparency could also be considered like transparent with yourself too. Like asking yourself, why am I into this thing? What is it adding to my life? How is it nourishing my soul? You need to be transparent with yourself first so then you can also be transparent with your partner. And I think that I've certainly heard from a lot of women just in my DMs and conversations with friends and things is, you know, you're almost like afraid to to bring something new, like a new opportunity or a, a trip or an event that you want to attend. Like you kind of shut it down because you quote unquote know what your partner is going to say. So I did want to just give like a little template, a way that you could think about approaching this topic with your partner in a co-creative but yet still respectful way so it could be something like 
Oh man, babe, I have been so lit up by this book that I'm reading. I can feel that it's giving me so many more tools for understanding myself on a deeper level, which feels really, really empowering. So the author is having a live workshop soon and I would love to attend. It would really mean a lot to me. I've never done anything like this before, so I would just really appreciate your support as I explore it more. Like something like that. Like this is kind of a silly example, but these are the types of situations that come up that if they're not addressed in a conscious and respectful, but still independent way, like you're operating autonomously saying, hey, this thing is really important to me and it's lighting me up and my soul is nudging me towards this, getting really clear on why, why you are interested in it. And then inviting your partner to support you as you explore more. Because I think especially if this is the feminine speaking to the masculine, the masculine may be like looking for like, what does she need from me here? Does she want me to go with her? Well, I don't want to do that. Does she, what, what exactly are you looking for? So I think if you layer into your communication that all you really need and would love from them is just their support yeah. while you explore this thing more, then he might just be like, oh, all you need is my support and that you get to talk to me about it from time to time. Sure, I can do that. Yeah, I think that's a great point and, and the way that you kind of dress it up like that because masculinity can definitely get triggered, uh, feel threatened. Um, so it could, it could even the approach of being like, um, hey, I, I have interests that are outside of this relationship uh, and, and they're just topics and masculinity can like weirdly get offended by that if it's not yeah um, i'm not enough for you right i'm not enough for you <laughs> or or it can be the opposite which is like this is me baby take it or leave it yeah and that can similarly seem like almost threatening so i think that's a good point questions to ponder when it comes to transparency and, and as you evaluate your own relationship dynamic and whether you're sitting in codependency or or, or really in co-creation one do I keep secrets from my partner or squash opportunities because I'm afraid of what they'll say? Do I require my partner to ask me for permission? That's a total narcissist asshole move. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel attached to an identity that you have to maintain for them and thus feel locked into being who you were on the day that you were married? Yeah. Do you feel like you can show your dirty laundry without judgment? Like, God, my freaking parents... I'm not saying this is my this is my case. My parents are lovely, incredible people. But if it, for whatever reason I had just total hostile, complete nightmare childhood, like this is my fucking childhood. This is what I'm dealing yeah. with. I'm 32 years old, still processing through my childhood wounds. Mm-hmm. This is it, uh, and and this is these are my cards. You know, mm-hmm. am I transparent and honest with myself about my intentions and interests? Mm-hmm. And when something is important to me, do I clearly and respectfully communicate it to my partner? Yes. I think that's a huge, huge, huge one is like a lot of us can know that we want things to be different. And this is true for me in part one. I knew that I wanted things to be different, but I didn't feel like I had the communication tools to authentically express to you what I was feeling in a way that was still respectful to you. Yeah. Yep. So I think that that's, that's uh, huge for people. And a perfect transition into the next topic that we'll be talking about, critical to co-creative relationships and this will surface in codependency or it will show codependency codependency will surface (laughs) when you argue so we're gonna be talking about how you argue Mm -hmm. interdependence and co-creation through arguing is when you can make space for uncomfortable conversations and are trying to get better at managing conflict and self-regulating 
You avoid blaming, you avoid criticizing, being defensive, yelling, hostility, withholding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I feel like a life skill is on this topic of being like being able to argue well, because relationships should not be completely void of arguing. That's not necessarily a sign of health in a relationship. But we need to be able to recognize when we are emotionally charged and operating from our ego or victim mindset or these made up stories that we that we all make up from time to time. We need to be able to recognize that, okay, this is not going to be a great outcome because I'm currently emotionally very charged. So sometimes that can just like look like, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to take a five minute walk and I'm going to come back and I, I really want to finish this conversation, but I can, and be totally transparent with your partner. This is allowed. This is okay. If you just need a few minutes to get stable and balanced before, so you don't say something that you know you don't mean, or that's not going to be productive or conducive to a conscious conversation. So then once you take that five minute walk around the block or whatever it is, do some breath work. Once you feel stable, they, you then are able to create a container for healthy, constructive dialogue with your partner, like the check-in tool. We've talked about this so many times on the podcast. The check-in, uh, I believe we, we have a whole episode related to the check-in, and I want to say it's episode 113, but uh, it's around there. It's called the check-in. And so you're then able to also practice empathetic listening to your partner. So you're focusing on what's the thing behind the thing? What's the, maybe not so much the little nitty gritty details, the surface level BS of the, the argument. What's the theme of the, of the argument? What's the thing behind the thing? Rather than like just thinking about what you're going to say next to win the argument. Because that's what real productive arguing is, is like, hey, what do we want the outcome to be from this? It's growth, right? Okay, we're going to have to both dissolve our egos and stories and victim mindset a little bit here and come together in a way that is uh, productive and respectful to our partner. So if anyone is actively struggling with this, with this uh, concept of regulating your own nervous system, being able to calm yourself. And if you feel like you really can't argue without getting emotionally reactive to your partner, I think a very helpful resource would be the book, his new book, From the Core by John Wineland. He gives countless practices to help people regulate their nervous system in just a few minutes like it's it's not that complicated but we once we realize that we're we're not in that currently we need to start acquiring the tools so that we feel more equipped to handle it differently because if we change nothing nothing will change yeah so then it's about acquiring the tools totally so questions to ponder as it pertains to arguing and how you argue do we create safe containers for constructive dialogue? Is them being quote unquote not mad more important to you than communicating your points, wants, and needs? Clear sign of codependency mm -hmm. that you're more concerned with yeah. them not being mad at you yeah. than you're actually interested in having a clear communication dialogue. Yeah, like, okay, okay, okay. I just don't want you to be mad at me. Right. Okay, I'll do whatever you say. I just, I want this fight to stop. Yep. 
Do you intentionally lean into fights and arguments because you've become dependent on the result of that tension? You see it often, you know, fights, because people don't know actually how to spark intimacy. They get into fights and it turns into like wild sex (laughs) or tantrums, uh, people throwing tantrums because they know that it'll elicit a response from their partner. That response is something they need. It is co-dependency. They're dependent upon that reaction, like a child-parent co-dependent relationship. Are you terrified of your partner's potential response such that you avoid difficult conversations altogether? Or you're dependent on a feisty fight with your partner to feel some sort of passion in the relationship. Yeah. We've been talking about it. But that is your dependency on a certain attribute of of what you need from your partner such that you lean into those buttons to press them to get them Mm -hmm. i'm dependent on you like a freaking vending machine to give me candy i think this shows up when um we've we've heard john wyland talk about this many times if the masculine is sort of like numbed out in a relationship, say they've been married for 20 years and there's not really a lot of spark or passion left, the feminine, oftentimes unconsciously without really realizing it, will poke the bear, mm. will poke. And they know it. eventually it's going to elicit a response that it has some fire behind it. And it's like, it's, it's just the feminine, like poking to be like, are you alive still? Are you yeah. here? Like, I need something from you. Yeah. And instead of doing it in a way that's, that's, um, uh, co-creative it's, or just it's transactional. Yeah. It's like, I just want to feel something from you. So I'm going to poke you. Yep. Oh yeah. All right. We're moving into number five, the way that relationship handles stability and safety. Mm-hmm. What does it look like in a co-creative relationship? Well, the relationship doesn't feel like an emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. You feel physically and emotionally safe without a constant need to validate or verify the safety. If you grew up around chaos mm-hmm. or were used to patterns of highs and lows, your relationship actually might feel kind of boring. And I think oftentimes, if you've grown up with those roller coasters, you're used to very intense waves of emotion, both pain and pleasure. And sometimes not getting that pleasure can actually make you think that your relationship's boring yeah. when in fact it's healthy and it's yeah. co-creative. Yeah. I think a uh, co-creative sign under safety and stability is that both partners show a really deep respect for one another. And above all, each one has full confidence that hey, I know that I'm safe to show you my inner world. Yep. Like that's the best feeling. Speaking from experience, that is the best feeling in a relationship when when you know that your partner is like ride or die, down homie, and you are safe to show the not so pretty parts of your inner world. Yeah. Codependency is hard when things are silent. Why? Because one of the codependent partners or both is, are you okay? Just want to make sure that everything's fine. Did I do something wrong? Is it about me? Is yeah. it, are you mad? Is it, are you, f- that is neediness, mm-hmm. dependency. Clinginess. So in co-creative relationships around safety and stability, awkward silences are not awkward. Mm-mm. It's safe. There is an unspoken safety communicated by trust in your energy. Yeah. Sometimes we'll be on a walk together and we'll go 15 minutes without saying anything. And I'll just, 
if I don't have anything to say, sometimes I'm just like, I'll just reach over and, you know, grab your hand and we'll hold hands while we walk or something. But we don't always have to fill the void of silence with something to make sure that your partner is connected to you. No, and it, and it both it goes both ways. It's not waiting around for um, your person be like, well, are they even noticing that it's silent right now? Yeah. yeah. Or and or not stressing about like, why aren't they saying something to me? Because that's yeah. kind of the giver and the taker of codependency. And so it's actually really powerful in 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 a sign of co-creative interdependent relationships is that silence. And you may not even have to say words, but maybe you have you feel through the look in their eyes or the way that they touch you. Um, wow, I just feel seen. Wow, I feel held. Wow, I feel loved. Um, or even breaking an awkward silence with something just like deep and and real. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we haven't talked for five minutes, but we're sitting there. Um, like we do this sometimes. We're fucking around watching a podcast on YouTube at night, and we haven't really said anything to each other, and we're kind of focused on the on the TV or whatever. And but then just out of nowhere, I'll be like man, I love you. <laughs> yeah. And like, that is safety. That is stability. Oh God, yeah. That is, that's what we mean. In addition to, uh, the physical safety mm-hmm. of not feeling like you're threatened by your own, you know, physical well being around yeah. your partner, obviously critical. Hey homie, did you hear that Organifi, the creators of the best and most delicious green juice in the world now has a crisp apple version you guys it is so dang good i love the original green juice but this may be my new favorite organifi product the apple taste isn't too strong it's just the right amount so green juice crisp apple has all the same benefits of the original green juice with a new crisp twist and refreshing taste and only two grams of sugar using organic whole apple sources handpicked from our home state of Washington. Holler! I drink green juice on a daily basis because the clinical dose of ashwagandha really helps support my body's stress response and cortisol levels. And you know what they say, you're either making stress hormones or sex hormones, not both. So green juice really is sexy. To grab your new sexy green juice, crisp apple, go to Organifi.com and remember to use the code MIMIFIT, M-I-M-I-F-I-T at checkout for a hefty 20% off on all your Organifi orders. Cheers and love, boo. And one thing I just want to add to that, yes, that is absolutely nourishing to me when you, when you, you know, because I know it's like coming straight from your heart. It's not like... I'm not fishing for anything, but also, you know, I wish I could put this on a billboard to every feminine essence woman or person out there. Like the masculine is nourished by stillness and silence. I'm not saying that you need to be silent. Of course we have long dialogue. We are super into going deep together, but I know I can tell certain times when I know your brain has been going a million miles an hour all day and it's actually the most nourishing if I'm just sitting next to you and lightly touching your leg or rubbing the back of your head. And yep. I'm not actually even saying anything. Yeah, no, spot on. And I don't feel the need to. I just, I'm nourishing you with my silent affection. Yeah, spot on. So I love this quote from Young Pueblo. And he says, real maturity in relationship is letting your partner know when your mind feels heavy, before your thoughts 
find a way to blame them for your tension. Openly naming that you are experiencing turbulence allows you to know it is there and then it also allows your partner to know that it's it's a good time to support you or hold space. And I read this quote, you know, months back and I was just like, oh my God, that's a, that's a light bulb moment in relationship because we all go through ups and downs, like depending on our, our physical health or our emotional health or family relationships can be really stressful. And it's really easy to bring that tension, that heavy mind that has nothing to actually do with your partner in relationship. Like maybe it's totally external relationships or circumstances and that heaviness and tension in your mind, your partner is unaware of it maybe, or maybe you're unaware of the severity of it and they do something that's just maybe a little off or not exactly the way you want and that tension now is directed towards them. Yeah. And that um, is really detrimental, I think, in relationships. So having the the skill set of noticing and obviously first being aware when you're going through one of these low dream type scenarios mm-hmm. and just being like, man, I had a really rough day and I can tell that my mind is racing if I'm quiet or if I'm, if I'm, you know, not as engaged tonight, just know that it has nothing to do with you. I'm just, my mind is really tired and uh, just know that there's some heaviness there. Like then your partner knows and hopefully they ask, oh, wow, damn, I'm sorry, babe. Like, yeah. how can I support you? Yeah. That's, you know? that's massive. And it, it diffuses yourself before you pop off on, yeah. on something or somebody. So yeah. Questions to ponder around um, safety and stability. Do you often have the feeling of walking on eggshells? Do you feel an insatiable need to know exactly what they are thinking about you? Can you go to sleep at night without them saying, I love you? (laughs) This one's for guys. How do you communicate to your partner that you are present, grounded, and here, here for stability? Are you doing it with your body language? Does your energy suggest instability? Does it suggest an accusatory nature. I think guys are classic for this where they can hurt their feminine partner emotionally because that's the feminine. And so their body language, when they're intending on being uh, accusatory or uh, frustrated, will communicate that. What's wild is like you can similarly communicate energetically and have it be very impactful in a positive Mm -hmm. way safety stability grounded present you can communicate that with no words at all Mm -hmm. it's literally just your breath how you're standing and maybe it's like a light touch on her shoulders or maybe it's just a hug like hey i'm here we got this whatever it is we're gonna get through it together i got you yep like i think another kind of last comment question on on stability is oftentimes uh safety and stability can only be met by a partner when they're able to control their significant other's behaviors. Mm -hmm. And that's a false sense of safety. That's a false sense of security is that as long as I can control everything, we're fine. Yeah. The reality is you can't control shit. Yeah. And so you're the most safe and you're the most stable when you're comfortable with the fact that you have no control over things. Yep. Yep. Last but not least, equality. Equality, huge criteria of relationships. And when it comes to co-creation, you feel like equals. You feel like teammates who support each other and help each other. Your partner's dreams, their goals, 
your be- their best interests are as important to you as your own. This includes roles in the relationships and, and, and shared responsibilities. How are you playing as equals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that this can kind of manifest when it's imbalanced. It can manifest in a couple different ways. But um, I've seen this personally with my own friends where both uh, both people are really successful individuals in their particular careers. And there is this sense or this attitude of, I need to one up my partner. I need to be more successful, more successful. I need to make more money, make more, even if it's not ever stated out loud, it's sort of just this energy of like, I'm, I'm, I might say good job, but secretly I'm thinking about how my next promotion could top yours or whatever. And it's this kind of competitory, uh, competitive, is competitory a word? I don't think so. Well, it sounds like it's one. Um, this competitive nature that can manifest if both people, especially if both people are kind of living in their masculine, for sure. And I think the other way that this shows up when people um, don't feel like equals is, is speaking to, again, like jobs. Say a dude guy loses his job and his wife or his girlfriend or whoever is a really, really successful individual and she makes 200 grand a year and he's seeing her success and it's acting as a mirror for his lack of success. So he may, he may like sabotage something. He may, even if it's energetically, not like actually ruining her job or whatever, but even just energetically or not being supportive or whatever. Like if you feel like your partner is achieving more than you and you're not in your, your soul's alignment, that can be really threatening for sure. Totally. It's, it's scorekeeping. And we've talked about scorekeeping a lot. And this is where equality and relationship, you abandon scorekeeping. When you are in co-creation, mm-hmm. you there is no score. There's no yeah. score to a game. There's no winner. There's no loser. You're not competing with your significant yeah. other in the way that you're achieving things. You're not counting the things that they do for you and the things that you do for them. Mm-hmm. Your role is the following and it's defined as the following. And you've met it nine out of 10 times this week. <laughs> I met my role 10 out of 10 times. Yeah. That's codependency. That is not equality. Equality is technically not equal. And the definition of codependent equality is I did my job 10 out of 10. You did your job 10 out of 10. We're equal. We're even. It's not how it works. Equality is a non-scorekeeping, a non-counting acceptance of shared economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said it yesterday. Uh, You don't need to keep score when you know that you've already won. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good quote. I need to make that one of those fucking Instagram things. <laughs> so this this part of this comes back to it, both individuals needing to take responsibility for establishing their own dream and legacy, a higher purpose to their life. I think this is something that is like an epidemic in our world is people not being lit up by what they do every day. And I know that it doesn't always work out. Sometimes you're in a job that you don't love to just get by or be in school to get, you know, the degree so then you can go and fulfill your life's purpose or whatever. But it's so critically important for each individual to have their what's the dream what's my what's my yeah. biggest dreams and the legacy that I want to live apart from my partner yep. but then also talk about what's our high dream together what do we want to create together with our union yep. separately and individually or separately and together so everything comes back to our dreams and uh, I think that that's I think a lot of issues in life in general can 
which is another whole podcast episode in and of itself, like establishing your dream and legacy. But if you haven't ever even thought about it for yourself or for your your relationship, that could be a really uh, amazing journal prompt for you. Yep. So there's another quote by Young Pueblo that I love in related in relation to equality. He says, what makes a relationship flourish? Two people who seek to know, love, and heal themselves as individuals will have harmony flow between them as a couple. Control creates tension, but trust leaves space for individuality and opens the door to vulnerability, calm communication, clear commitment, and the willingness to support each other's happiness all makes the union stronger. Mm. That's beautiful. I love that. The operative phrase there being like, Two people who seek to know, love, and heal themselves as individuals will have harmony flow between them as a couple. Yeah. He's not saying you're responsible for healing your partner. That's that's on us as individuals. Yes, your partner can support you, but it's not on them to heal you or to help you grow or this or that. Like That creates tension. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I love that piece, control. The more you try to control the more you realize you don't have anything in control. Yeah, and that creates tension. Yep. <laughs> Questions to ponder around equality. Are you fixed or are you fluid in your roles and responsibilities in a partnership? There's lots of little tidbits and things that we could add here. Um, but even even for us, you know, there are certain roles that we take on in the, in the dynamic of the relationship. However, it's an important practice for us to ensure that each one of us are understanding and partaking in those roles and responsibilities from time to time. Mm -hmm. Even if it's something as simple as I do the dishes on occasion, even though I typically don't scrub the dishes after dinner. That's something that you do a lot. I get the groceries. I'm, a, I'm the grocery guy. Once a week, I'm doing a big grocery run, all the planning, whatever. But occasionally, you take it off my plate and do it for me. Weirdly enough, we didn't do any of that kind of shit in part one. No. And I'm and these are small examples, but like yeah. they're wildly powerful when you just take on and be, be, because the end goal is a co-creative life and it's a legacy and it's a dream. And so therefore, there isn't any harm in taking on what the other person is doing. Mm -hmm. Am I living in alignment with my own soul's dream? Am I living in alignment with a dream that we've talked about in the relationship. What are our core values? What is the potential of our relationship? Am I living in alignment with those things? And what do we want to create? I think that just asking this question mm -hmm. repetitively, consistently, checking back in, what do you want to create? And, it, yeah. and it's okay if it's changed. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. That is equality. That is not being attached to a preset definition of equality and rather keeping it fluid, organic. And it can be simple too. These answers, like what do we want to create with our union? It yeah, doesn't have like, to, what do we want to, this sounds like very like formal, like what do we want to create with our union? But <laughs> it, it can be simple. Yeah, it can be simple. It can be, Hey, we both want to create space for our own healing to happen. Or we want to create a loving and conscious home so that we are well, we want to create a loving and conscious home to bring children into, or we want to create a podcast and business together and lean into our 
our gifts and passion for speaking and podcasting. Like it can be whatever. It's not necessarily like business or work related. Yeah. It's like what just ask that question to your partner and leave it open-ended. Like, right. I think it's a really cool, like dinner or after dinner, chill conversation starter, yeah. or maybe you're at a coffee date and you're like, Hey, what do we want to create together? Yeah. <laughs> it might cut, cut, catch your uh, partner off guard there. Cause it's kind of a deep question, no, but I love it. it's all important. Um, and so there it is. Those are the six characteristics of a co-creative relationship. Certainly it's not all inclusive. This is not an exhaustive list. And this is probably a topic that we could talk for hours and hours on, but hopefully it gives you a snapshot of what codependency can f- manifest as and how we can shift things yeah. in simple ways to start building more co-creative habits into our relationship. These are, these are six characteristics of relationships just at large and, and talking through what it can look like through interdependence, through healthy co-creation, you know, inner independence, that inner world, that inner pursuit of your yourself and your self-exploration. It's the external independence. It's the activities, the relationships, the things that you're a part of independent of your significant other. It's transparency how open you are with each other. It is the way that you argue. It's stability and safety. And it lastly is equality. Again, surely this isn't all of them, but these are six really important characteristics just of relationships at large. And so the challenge, the call to action, everybody listening is just really evaluate like, and take some of these questions that we posed um, to heart. How am I showing up? Am I leaning a little bit codependent? Am I leaning a little bit co-creative? How do I lean further into interdependence? Yeah, I think there's going to be realizations across the board when people hear this like, oh, I see that I'm giving from a place of guilt. That's indicative of some level of codependency. Oh, from the other side of the spectrum. Oh, I realize that I'm probably making my partner feel guilty for having friendships outside of our relationships or outside of our relationship. Ooh, that's probably not yeah. great. So yeah. I think the the realizations can go on both sides of the spectrum. And again, the first step is just awareness and you don't have to fix it overnight. It's a process. Um, but just realize that every time you, you are aware and you realize that you're in a codependent pattern, just the realization alone is growth. Yeah. That's the first stage of changing anything is conscious incompetence. It's like, okay, I didn't know what I didn't know. Now I realize that there's some patterns that I want to change. How do I go about acquiring the tools to change them? And that's yep. the, that's the next stage, but totally. All good stuff. Hope you guys got a lot of out of this episode. Um, it was fun for us to put together and uh, think back on our <laughs> codependent relationship and just sit in gratitude for this beautiful second chance that we get to um, create something different. No doubt. What for you, my love, as we come to a close here, what for you is your medicine today? My medicine today, and it's really been the last couple of weeks, uh, I've just been blown away by the feedback from Mushy Love Latte. Mm. Um, it makes my heart feel amazing to have put a ton of effort into something with you and really made it just this act of love and see people uh, enjoy it. But even more importantly is like, this is people choosing health. Mm-hmm. And um, mushrooms are some of the most powerful adaptogenic 
uh, foods that you can get into your life for transforming your mm -hmm. wellness. And uh, it makes me really happy that people are able to do that in a way that's delicious um, and is really kind of a gateway to a whole world of choosing a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And um, so that's really rewarding. I, of course, I love the seeing the stories on Instagram and people tagging us and saying it tastes delicious and everything. But even more uh, gratitude for what you're going to feel like in 30 days, 60 days, <laughs> 90 days of having taken this uh, product and just chosen health on a consistent basis. So that is my medicine. Love it. What for you, my love, after all this time, is <laughs> your medicine? After all this time, always. <clears throat> um, my medicine today was my conversation with Allison uh, from the Tourmaline Collective. She came to our condo and I was able to interview her. She's a, a super badass midwife. And we talked for like almost two hours and it was completely nourishing and fascinating to me. And uh, I just, I love her and she's doing incredible things in the world of birth and supporting women the way that we all deserve in the space as it relates to birth and pregnancy, postpartum. And that episode's going to come out in a few weeks and I'm so excited for it. It was a really, really great conversation and I think it's going to, it's going to feel like nourishment for a lot of women out there who maybe are unsure of all of their different options when it comes to birth. So stay tuned. Love it. <clears throat> all right, guys. Thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for learning about all this good stuff. And uh, let us know what you think. Leave us a review. Uh, share this on the gram or any other social media platform. And uh, we are sending you a ton of love and a ton of light. Mush love. Big hug. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next time. Go spread some light. Okay, bye. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. This will ensure that every episode drops into your library automatically. Also, make sure you're following me on Instagram at Mimi underscore the medicine to learn more about our favorite health products, foods, and supplements we discuss on here, along with the discounts, visit themedicine.com forward slash medicine cabinet, or just check the show notes for this episode. Until next time, cheers, boo.